Okay, open your Bible to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. So, in this season of reflection, repentance, and renewal, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and then the following Sunday is Easter Sunday. In this season of reflection, repentance, and renewal, we've really been talking about worship, our worship. We talked about our worship as warfare. We talked last week about our uh, worship and our authority, the authority of our worship. And this week we're going to talk about how our worship reveals God's wisdom. Our worship reveals God's wisdom. I want to read, first of all, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to read beginning in chapter 2 to give you the context of why Paul says what he says here. So our worship reveals God's wisdom. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. And Paul is talking about his, uh, the, the grace of God that's made him an apostle, a preacher of the gospel. And he says in verse 9, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I want to take you back to, uh, go back a few verses into chapter 2. And actually I want to begin reading in verse um, in verse 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Now remember, this was written to the believers in Ephesus, but it's written for us. So what we're reading in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus some 2,000 years ago, I want you to understand that what we're reading applies to you and to me today. This very verse right here, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We sang a lot of songs today about forgiveness, about repentance, about how God has washed us, how God has uh, overturned death, how he cheated hell by paying the price and setting us free. And we were those who were once far off but have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. 
For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a temple, a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for, your, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body in partakers and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And here's our verse. And to make... All see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Well, Father, we ask that you would take this gospel message, that you would take your word, and that you would sow it into the hearts of each one of our lives, into the good soil of our hearts, that it would bring forth a harvest, a manifestation of your life and your righteousness in us for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our worship reveals God's wisdom. It's this wisdom that Paul described as a mystery that God had kept hidden since before time began. So in our worship, when we worship, we make all see, both Jew and Gentile. So when Paul is talking about both here, he's referring to Jews and Gentiles. Remember, he's, he writes and he says in this letter that the Gentiles should follow. He said, I'm writing this to you Gentiles. And when he uses this word both, he's referring to Jew and Gentile. Because remember, in his world, in his mind as a Jew... There's only two types of people. There are the Jews and there are the Gentiles. 
When we read the Bible, and the Bible talks about Israel, the people of God, and it talks about the nations, it's talking about Israel, and it's talking about everybody else. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what nation you come from. It doesn't matter what language you speak. And so this, this term, both, when you read that, when you see that, remember, he's talking about Jew and Gentile. But he's not just talking about human beings. He says that it's been given to the church that the church would make known the manifold wisdom of God to powers and principalities in the heavenly places. So he's not just talking about Jew and Gentile that this wisdom is being made known to. He's talking about the angels and the demons, the powers and the principalities in heavenly places. So right now, the very fact that you're sitting in this building today, that we are worshiping God today, the Bible says that you are making known the wisdom of God, the powers and the principalities. Now you don't do that just when you come to this building to worship. But there is no more powerful way that we make known the wisdom of God than when the church assembles together for worship. Because we are giving notice, we are giving witness, we are letting heaven and earth know that the people of God, the church of God, the army of God is assembled together to do what? To do warfare. That's why we spent two weeks talking about how our worship is warfare. And we come together, not haphazardly, but we come together with intention and with purpose because we come together with authority. And, and this worship service is an authoritative, powerful service. It's not authoritative and powerful because you feel something or you don't feel something. It's not authoritative and powerful because you, you cried or you didn't cry or you got goosebumps or you didn't get goosebumps or because you really liked the music that day or you didn't really care in particular for the music or uh, the pastor had an off day. I didn't really care for his message. I'd have been better off staying home, you know, working on my house or something. That, that is irrelevant. See, that's, that's the consumerism. That is the... Gentile, the worldly way of thinking. That's not how the people of God think. That's not how we think in the kingdom. Because it's not just one or two or three parts of what we do. It's everything that we do. Your very act of assembling here, of being here, is a demonstration of the power and the authority that has been given to the church to worship God, to conduct his warfare, and to make known to powers and principalities and, by the way, your neighbors who saw you leave the house and drive to church today, making known to them the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God. There is a reason why God commands us to do these things. There is a reason why his command to not forsake assembling is a command to assemble. Because God is commanding us to make known his wisdom on earth and in heaven. So when we, Christ Fellowship Church, assemble together, we make known the multifaceted, manifold wisdom of God that's being revealed in all creation 
and in all the ways that God chooses to bring about his eternal purpose. Now, I don't know if you have noticed, but I have noticed that God does not bring about his purposes the way I always would like for them to come about. I've also discovered that I, that, that I don't always realize, I'm not always conscious that, that it is God bringing about his purposes in everything that's happening in my life. Sometimes I just get aggravated or get frustrated or become impatient and I just want things to change or I just wish things were different. And I lose sight that God has an eternal purpose that transcends my convenience. It transcends my level of frustration. It transcends my ability to be patient. It transcends my ability to be thankful in and for all things. That whether I'm able to do those things or not, whether I'm able to experience those things or not, has nothing to do with God's eternal purpose. It just affects how I am experiencing and, and, and walking through and being affected by his eternal purpose. And this is why the Bible is very purposeful in not telling us, just be patient and God's going to explain everything to you. It never says that. It says, be patient and know that as you are experiencing your tribulation, your patience is working out character and your character is producing in you hope and the hope God gives you will not disappoint not because we understand everything not because it feels good not because uh, it's pleasant or convenient but because God has made a promise and God says your ability to trust my promise to know my promise to have faith in me has nothing to do with your ability to understand everything I'm doing and how I am working out my eternal purpose. You don't need to know that. You just need to know that I have one and I'm working it out. And if you have a need to know, I'll let you know. If you don't have a need to know, then you are to just continue to trust me. See, now the world hates that. The world does not want to serve a God like that. And the reason we fundamentally as human beings hate that is because we fundamentally as human beings want to be our own God. Now, we might not say it like that. Some people proudly say it like that, but there's other people who would never say it like that. But it doesn't really matter how you say it or even how you think about it. What, what, really, what really pulls the cover back on where we're really at is how we live our life and what we do. Are we willing to let God be God and let God be in control? You know, I think, Shirley, I think about you and Mike, and we pray every week for, for Mike and Shirley. And here, Shirley is here, praise God, but Mike is still at home. He's suffering from Parkinson's disease. He's, he's unstable. He can't, can't walk real well. I, I don't know what God is working out in his eternal purpose that involves what's taking place in this man's life. But here's what I know for sure. He is a child of God. He loves God, trusts God with all of his heart, and God is working something out. It may be, down, it may be downstream where none of us can even see it right now. 
Do you know that's how God works? When I came to faith in Christ, I realized I didn't know any of my grandparents very well. My, my paternal grandfather died when I was very young, and I barely remember him, and my paternal grandmother died when my father was, six, was 12 years old back in 1924. I didn't know my maternal grandfather, and I barely remember my maternal grandmother, but I knew this about my maternal grandmother. She was a very godly woman. And I never really thought much about it, but after I came to faith in Christ, I realized this, that I did not come there alone. That there were people who prayed for me. There were things that God did in people's lives that brought about the situations and the circumstances that that led me to come to faith in Christ. And I'm just one little bitty T90 speck in the grand scheme of things. And so are you. But all of us put together throughout history, throughout the world, throughout God's created time and order, all of us put together, we make up the eternal purpose of God in Christ Jesus. God didn't create you. God didn't birth you. God did not bring you into this world for no reason. He brought you here for a reason. You have, each of you have, an eternal purpose in God. And that eternal purpose is not contingent upon you knowing and understanding all things about it. And your eternal purpose and my eternal purpose are linked together, are bound together with one another. In some ways, in greater ways than others. But we are all bound together in the eternal purpose of God. This is the power of who we are as the body of Christ. This is the power of our worship. God has made peace with his people by making them one in him. Now this is important. Because this reality that he is our peace. This is what verse 14 says here. He is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 God has made peace with his people by making them one in him. There can be no accurate expression of worship in spirit and in truth. This is what Jesus said. The Father is seeking such to worship him. Those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. This is what he told the Samaritan woman at the well. She said, our people worship up on the mountain there in Samaria. You people worship in Jerusalem at the temple. Jesus said, it doesn't matter. On a mountain in a temple. Here's the reality. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not about the physical location you worship. It's about are you worshiping the Father, and in spirit and in truth. This is a gathering, an assembly of God's people in spirit and in truth. Because we are declaring in spirit and in truth the reality of who we are in Christ, that God has made us one in Him. In Matthew 23 and 24, Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24, Jesus tells something very practical about 
when we go to worship. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's a picture of unity. It's a picture of oneness. Don't come and say that you're going to worship the one true and living God while you're at odds with your brother. If you know there's something, go to your brother, make it right with your brother, and then come and worship God. Now, why would Jesus say that? Because in the eternal purpose of God, what God eternally purposed to do was to make us one in Him. And we can't be one in Him if we're not one with one another. And if we're not one with one another, we're not going to be one with him. This is the whole point of 1 John. John writes his letter, and he says, You say that you love God, but you hate your brother. You can't have the love of God in you if you hate your brother. This is what he says in 1 John. So in 1 John, the command, the consistent command is to love one another. It's not that we don't need to love God. It's that you can't love God and not love one another. And if you love one another, then you're going to love God. To have peace with God, we must have peace with one another. And to have peace with one another, we must have peace with God. He is our peace who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation. At one time, there was no peace between God and man, and there was no peace between men, between Jew and Gentile specifically. There was a wall of separation between both of them. Listen to Acts chapter 21, verses 28 and 29. This is when the men of Israel are, this is why Paul got arrested. This is what, this is ultimately ended up with Paul being arrested and sent to Rome and ultimately executed for his faith. Acts 21, 28, and 29, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man, the Apostle Paul, who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trumphimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Now, there was in the temple, when the temple stood, there was a literal wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, as well as the veils that separated man from the presence of God. Paul is writing to this Gentile church and he's telling them Jesus Christ is our peace. Jesus Christ has broken down the wall, the middle wall of separation. In Christ, we now have peace with God and we are to have peace with one another. There once was a literal wall in the temple separating Jew and Gentile. There is also a literal veil that separated men from the presence of God. But through faith... In Jesus Christ, we now have access without 
fear beyond the wall that once separated Jew and Gentile, we have access into the most holy of holies, into the very presence of God. So as Gentiles, we don't just get to go into the court of the Jews. Paul says we, we not only get to go into the court of the Jews, but we can walk right into the most holy of holies. That's why when Jesus was crucified and when he died at 3 p.m. that afternoon, the very time the high priest is sacrificing that lamb for slaughter at the temple, at that very time the Bible says the temple, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, opening the way for man to come into the very presence of God. This is the language Paul is using here, and this is what he means when he says he is our peace. And the middle wall of separation has been broken down. Verse 15, he has created in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. God has made peace in the one new man he created in himself from the two. If you are in Christ, you are that one new man, and so he is your peace. And he has reconciled both, both Jew and Gentile, in one body through the cross. So all humanity, whether Jew or Gentile, has been reconciled in one body through the cross. In Christ, we are no longer seen as Jew or Gentile. We're not seen as black or white or brown or yellow or red. We're not seen as rich or poor. We're not even seen as young and old. Paul says we're not seen as male or female. It's not that God abolishes color or God abolishes ethnicity or God abolishes gender roles or God abolishes age. It's not that at all. It's that in Christ, those things that men use to distinguish one another, God doesn't see that any longer in Christ. Why? Because there is now one new man. Christ is the head of that man. Now when you look at me, how many heads do I have? I only have one. Sometimes I wish I had more than one, but I only have one. And I only have one body. One head, one body. Go look in the mirror, the same with you. You have one head and you have one body. But now, what makes up your body? Many members. I got ten fingers, I got ten toes, I got two knees, I got two elbows, I got two eyeballs, I got two eardrums. If we listed all the members that make up this body, there, there would be thousands and upon thousands of, we can get down to the micro level and, and, and we're, in, we're in infinity now. We want to start counting atoms and splitting atoms that make up our bodies. But, but even though there's all these members that make up our body, there's still only one body. There's one head and there's one body. So when Paul writes that he has created in himself one new man, that's what we have become a part of. The one new man, the head of that one new man is Christ. The body of that one new man is all of us, the church. Worldwide, universal, throughout the ages. And he reconciled us in this one body through the cross. When we were crucified with Christ through faith, 
we were raised up in his life into one body, into the one new man that he has created in himself. Galatians 3.26, For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The cross is the great equalizer. Everybody wants equal opportunity will come to the cross. Because the cross is the great equalizer. By God's grace, it crucifies all who are brought to it without any discrimination, making all one in Christ. Through Christ, both have access by one spirit to the Father. Paul writes in verse 18 of Ephesians 2. One new man now has access by one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, no longer strangers and foreigners, now members of the household of God. He said, you Gentiles were once considered strangers and foreigners. You couldn't even go past a certain wall in the temple. You couldn't even go into the house of a Jew, and a Jew couldn't even go in your house. But now you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are now members of the household of God. By one spirit, we are made members of the household of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. By one spirit, we have access to the Father now as children of God. In verse 20, he says, built. He's talking about this, this body of people built on the foundation. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone or the head of the corner. You ever seen a building that's got a cornerstone and it's got writing on it says this building was dedicated on this date and this year? That's called the cornerstone. If you go to the Capitol in Austin, the Capitol has a cornerstone. That was the very first stone that was laid in order to build that building. And it was that cornerstone, that first stone, that, that set everything else in motion and made sure everything else was aligned. That's who Jesus is. He's our cornerstone. He's the head of the corner. He's the one that was laid first so that everything else comes in alignment with him. If we're not in alignment with him, then we're out of order. We are in sin. But the good news is he's put his Holy Spirit in us so that when we get out of alignment, it is the Spirit of God that brings us back into alignment, that lets us know, hey, you're getting out of alignment here. And the Spirit of God brings us back and puts us back on the path of righteousness for his namesake. Read the 23rd Psalm. Verse 21, the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now we're getting down to worship. We're talking about a temple, a dwelling place of God, a holy temple in the Lord. In Christ, we are being fitted together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. 
do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, or the devil? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Paul was exhorting the Corinthians to live consistent with their confession. They confessed to be followers of Christ. They confessed to have their life in Christ, but their lifestyle spoke something different. We cannot say that we are one with the true and living God in the life of Christ and also at the very same time be joined to idols and the idolatry of this world. That's why we can't say we love God and we believe God and we believe his truth and then practice a lie. And this is happening all over the church right now. And then he says, you not only you're a building being fitted together, growing into a holy temple, he says, you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. A holy temple is a place of worship. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so we are holy, and our life is to be for holy worship for the living God. We are the dwelling place of God. We are the place that God dwells on this earth. That's why when we come to the table today, we're not going to believe that that bread is going to turn into literally the body of Christ. But yet we say the body of Christ is literally present in this building. How is he present? Not in those little wafers of bread. He's present in you. Because you are the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in the, in, the, in the days of Israel, when there was a tabernacle, and then when there was a temple, there was the holiest of holies, and behind that veil sat the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat, that was the dwelling place of God. That's where the presence of God dwelt. That's why it was covered with the veil, so, so it was completely concealed. And only one man, one time a year, was allowed to go into the presence of God. But now Paul is painting this picture that that has been abolished, that has been destroyed. Christ destroyed that. Christ is now our peace. Christ has given us full access to come into the very presence of God, behind the veil, through the veil, to the very holiest of holies. In fact, he says, you are being fitted together and and are being turned into a temple, a holy temple in the Lord. And he says, you are the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So now when we come to the table, where is Christ? He's not in the bread. He's in you. When you come to the table, you are the presence of God. You are the presence of Christ when the table is set. Why do you set a table? You ladies, When you set a table and you go to all the trouble to set a beautiful table, do you expect people to come and to gather and assemble around that table? Well, of course you do. 
Otherwise, you wouldn't have gone to all the work and all the effort to set that table. Guess what? God sets a table for us every week. And he went to a lot more trouble and a lot more inconvenience than place settings and forks and knives and spoons and glasses. He died. Christ gave his body and his blood that this table would be set each and every week so that his children would bring his presence together and come to the table that he has set and remember what he has done for us. Your worship declares his wisdom. Your worship is warfare. Your worship is with authority. When we come to that table, there is something powerful happening. When we gather here, there is something powerful that is happening. You are the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In the Spirit, contrast with the natural, there was a natural temple. It got torn down in 70 A.D. You are the temple now. You are the spiritual temple of God in the earth that will never be torn down. Christ, in fact, is that temple. We are just living stones that are building it up. In reality, Christ is that temple, and that temple will never, ever pass away. When we assemble each week, we assemble as that temple with the presence of God, as the people of God, offering up the sacrifices of praise with thanksgiving. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Our commitment to corporate worship is born out of our commitment to personal worship as we are commanded to continuously offer the sacrifice of praise to God, giving thanks to his name. The picture is one of joyful participation with gratitude because he is our peace and he has made us one in him. And now by one spirit, we have access to the Father. God makes known his peace through the mystery now revealed by his spirit. And this is what he's talking about. And the culmination is this in verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Paul talks about this mystery. What was the mystery? The mystery was that from two, God in Christ would make one. That from the two, he would create in himself one new man. This is a familiar pattern throughout the scripture. From two, God makes one. We see this in the very beginning of creation. When God forms Adam from the dust of the earth, he forms man from the dust of the earth, then he breathes his breath of life into that man. He lets man figure out for himself that he is alone and there is none like him. And once Adam comes to that revelation, the Bible says God puts Adam in a deep sleep. Let's just read it, Genesis 2.21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman. 
He built, literally it says he built it, that rib into a woman and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. <coughs> Excuse me. And be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. So in the first man, we see God take one and make two. Then he takes the two and he joins them together to make one again. We see the same thing with Jew and Gentile. From Adam came every Jew and every Gentile. From the first man, from the one man, came both Jew and Gentile. Two from one. Now through faith in Christ, the last Adam, God has created one new man from both Jew and Gentile. The two now have become one. In Christ there is now neither Jew nor Gentile, but Christ is all and in all. The old Adam is no more. The last Adam, the second man, has created in himself one new man. And we are not a reconstruction of the first man. We are new creations born in the new man, Jesus Christ. This is the mystery Paul talks about in in Ephesians 3. This is the mystery, he says, that, that was hidden from before the ages. This is the mystery he writes about in 1 Corinthians when he says, had the rulers of this world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known actually what Jesus was going to do in creating in himself one new man, abolishing all separation between men and between God and man, that the rulers of this world would not have allowed the Christ to be crucified. This is the wisdom that God makes known through his people, the church. Each week when we assemble together, we're making known the wisdom of God and the mystery that's now revealed that Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Listen to Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. This is what God the Father is saying to God the Son. Ask me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. God has given to Christ the nations for his inheritance. He makes known his wisdom through the church And it is now given to the church to make known this manifold wisdom of God, that wisdom that was hidden in a mystery and unknown to the rulers of this world. And it shows us, and Paul goes on and he writes, that God had an eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. God has an eternal purpose in all things. This is the wisdom of God. His eternal purpose is bound up in all things. Even though we may not see it, we may not perceive it, we may not understand it, we may not agree with it, or the way that God brings about his eternal purpose, it still stands that God has an eternal purpose in all things, and he is accomplishing 
that purpose in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, we have boldness. We have access to the Father. We have it with confidence through faith in Him. Faith, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is trusting in the God we know and the hope we have in Him even when we cannot see anything else. Or especially we cannot see what we desire to see because we know that our eternal hope has an eternal purpose in all things we are never without hope we know that whatever happens God has promised those who love him those who are the called according to his purpose that he works all things together for good that means in whatever happens we have a sure promise and a sure hope This is why Paul encouraged the church to not lose heart at his tribulation for them, which was for their glory. You can imagine the questions that this church must have had. Coming out of paganism to faith in the true and living God, this God who is Lord over all, who is all-powerful, who is the creator of everything, these pagans who once worshipped multitudes of God now have now come to the, to the one true and living God. And now their apostle, the guy that, that actually sowed the seeds of the gospel into their lives and were responsible for them coming to faith in Christ, that man is now imprisoned awaiting his execution. And Paul is saying, you know that God has an eternal purpose. Don't lose heart, even in my tribulations that are for you and for your glory. Can you imagine the questions they might have had? The same that we have today. Why would God allow Paul to be put into prison to be executed? Here's a man doing such great good, preaching the gospel and giving everything of his life and substance to the work of God. And yet God allows him to be supremely mistreated and persecuted and abandoned and ultimately imprisoned and executed. Because he was a Roman citizen, they didn't crucify him. They gave him the, the goodness of just having his head chopped off. That's how they executed Roman citizens. They chopped off their heads because it was quick and painless, unlike a crucifixion. Peter, who was not a Roman citizen, was crucified like his Lord. Paul's encouragement for them is for us today. Do not lose heart in tribulations. They are in God's eternal purpose and they are for your glory. That might not be what we like to hear, but that is the truth. And so God has set a table for us. He sets it for us all the time. We set this table every week because God has set a table for us in the presence of his enemies. And when we come to this table, we are declaring his wisdom. The wisdom that was once a mystery but now known. That he has broken down the walls of separation. He has opened the way for us to come with boldness and with confidence to his very presence. Let's get ready to come to the table. Well, let's stand. God wants us to know and to understand our worship has meaning and it has power.
Through our worship, we make known the manifold wisdom of God to powers and principalities. That may seem too abstract for some, but it is anything but. It is meaningful to you. It is meaningful to your life and to all those around you, both believers and unbelievers. It's meaningful to angels and to demons, to powers and principalities in heavenly places. Our worship gives witness to his wisdom. Our worship makes a statement about God, so our non-worship makes a statement about God. God commands our worship. Therefore, may we worship him well, corporately and personally. May we give witness to and make known his wisdom now revealed in his church. May we change our lives in the world around us through our worship and never doubt that your worship has the power to change your life and the world around you. And that is exactly why God commands it. All of this for his glory. Amen.